0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 8 as we get ready to study the Word of God. And as some of you are turning there or opening your devices and swiping there, clicking there, whatever you're doing. Um, Let's uh, prepare our hearts some more by uh, bowing our hearts in prayer as we go before the Lord once again. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to continue our worship of you. You are so worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. And Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We pray for understanding and fresh insight. We do pray for a timely word. And I pray for the gift of teaching, uh, for that ability, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. And may something be said, Lord, that would be a blessing to at least one person. May you meet us where we are, Father, and help us to see, sense your presence, Lord. Help us to sense your presence tonight. We know that you're omnipresent, but help us to know, to, to just sense that you are here. You know, Father, I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit and I pray that when we leave this place, we'll leave uh, better than when we came in, Father. And may you keep your people safe on this campus. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. First Samuel chapter 8 is where we'll pick up our lesson in the book of First Samuel. This is uh, the book that we're going through on Wednesday nights. And the title of the message is, The Rejected King. The Rejected King. Now, speaking of rejection, rejection is hard for us to experience. Many of us have experienced rejection many times. Some people have experienced rejection recently. Maybe it's that job that you applied for and you didn't get hired so you were in that sense rejected. Or maybe your school application was denied. You tried so hard to get into a certain college or university or trade school but your application for some reason was denied. You were rejected. Or could it be that Some of you were athletes and maybe are athletes even to this day, but you've experienced being cut from a team. And so you experience some rejection. And the thing about rejection is that it can have many effects. For some people, it it causes them to wonder what is wrong with me. For others, they get depressed because they are rejected. For some people, they want to quit or they do indeed quit whatever they're pursuing, all because of rejection. Then there's others who get in their feelings or get emotional, and so they may lash out in anger because someone or some organization rejected them. And maybe even that rejection happened in church. So for some people, they're heartbroken even within the church, and they switch over to a different local church or stop going to church at all and some people even get even more devastated and they ask, why are they even existing? Why are they even here? And so we've all been in that place where we've experienced rejection. And I filled out many applications thinking that it was the way that I was going to go, speaking of the IT field. I got my undergrad degree in English and became an English teacher and then got a job at a university and I wanted to become involved with technology. And so I went for a master's degree in information systems, got the degree and I thought that everything was going to be cool, that it was going to be easy to get my foot in the door and I tried many times to apply for certain IT jobs or at least IT-ish jobs but got turned down, got rejected, and then I had a glimmer of hope that somebody at least wanted to interview me, and I thought the interview went well, but obviously it didn't. I got rejected, but, but that was okay because I came to understand that, that God had a different plan, a better plan for my life, and so we've all been there, and so this is a message or an introduction that's just not for you. It's not a—I know it's one way in the sense that I'm talking to you, but you can't just ask me questions. Well, you could, but it normally doesn't happen during the Wednesday night service as I'm teaching. Or even the Sunday morning service as Pastor Jim is teaching. But what I mean, I, it's not just one way. I'm, I mean that this is not an example that only applies to you, but applies to me as well. I've been in that place. But God, God Himself, our Heavenly Father, for those of us who are children of God, God has experienced rejection Himself. And the thing about God is this rejection comes from the very creatures that He created. The only creatures that he made in his image. And so, God, our Heavenly Father, has experience in this field, in this area of rejection. But unlike some of us who have changes in moods and Changes in paths and these things because of rejection. God never changes his character. He never changes who he is just because a group of people or a person rejects him. Or even if a nation rejects him, he doesn't change who he is. He remains the same. And so in this study tonight about the rejected king... We're going to see what the Lord has for us. And and so I'd like for us to turn to verse 1 in 1 Samuel chapter 8 as we talk about the rejected king. And and I'm sure that there's going to be something, at least one thing for you to take from here, to take from the study that you can meditate on, that you can chew on. And so in verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. It says the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. It says they were judges in Beersheba, which is in the south of Israel and in verse 3, it says, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain or profit. It says that they took bribes and they perverted justice. Or in other words, they made biased decisions. And so we see here in summary that his sons, speaking of Samuel's sons, they, they did not follow his example. And many people or Bible commentators can speculate about the reason for this disconnect between him and his sons. How come he was faithful to the Lord, but they were not? And we don't know exactly what happened in his home. But what is clear is that his sons used their free will to do evil. And as parents, those of us who are parents... Those of us who know the word of God, we know that we must be godly examples for our children. And we know that we must teach our children the word of God. And our hope and our prayers are that they will use their free will to follow our example as we follow Christ. Just like what the Apostle Paul said in in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, verse 1, where he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's something that as parents, we want to be able to say to our children, and we hope our children use their free will to imitate us as we imitate Christ. Well, that would be so much of a blessing to us. You know, look at what it says in Proverbs 23, verse 24. It says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who begets a wise child will delight or take great pleasure in him. Oh, fathers, mothers, parents just would be so blessed, would take great pleasure when we see our children obeying the word of God, having their own personal relationship with the Lord. But unfortunately for Samuel, it didn't work out that way. And this caused some issues as we see in this lesson. And we continue in verse four, where it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to Samuel, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. What is more offensive here? The fact that they called the man old or the fact that they said your boys are walking in an evil manner I kind of would have been offended at both if I'm Samuel man don't call me old that's just a number but anyway the elders they were correct in not wanting corrupt leadership they were correct in that we shouldn't want corrupt leadership I don't care what day and age it is we shouldn't want corrupt leadership so they were correct in that but they presented their own solution to this problem, to this problem of corrupt leadership. But those of us who are here today, we could also fall into this trap. We can fall into this trap of coming up with our own solution, which could be to a a legitimate problem. And we may have good reason to, wanting to fix this issue, but we should ask ourselves a question. And the question should be, is this solution in God's will? Is this something that God wants us to do? Is this something that he wants us to try? Oh yes, the problem's real. Once again, it's legitimate, but is my solution something that lines up with the word of God, that lines up with the will of of God. And when we talk about the will of God, we talk about, we're talking about what God wants. And when we talk about God's will, different, there's different aspects to his will. We talk about that permissive will. And his permissive will is what he allows, but doesn't necessarily approve of. And so he allows humans to use their free will to make decisions. And those decisions doesn't always line up with his word, but in his permissive will, he allows it. But then you have his, you have his perfect will. And, and his perfect will is, is what he wants. It's truly what he wants. This is truly what he desires. And if we take that route and we're in his perfect will, then we'll be in the best place. In his perfect will, that's, that's God's best for us. And so here, he allowed them, he allowed these, these boys, Samuel's sons, to, to use their will. And unfortunately, they used it for evil. And then these men, these elders who came to Samuel, Again, they didn't seek the perfect will of God. Here they were operating in the permissive will of God, trying to come up with their own solution. No, I like what it says in verses 6 and 7, because there's some things here that that we're going to talk about as, as we park here for a second, so just... Real quick, I'm going I'm to read those verses. It says, but the thing displeased or was evil in the eyes of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Again, permissive will. This is not his perfect will. It says, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And so Samuel's displeasure with the Israelites' request is is understandable. And so what he did was he, he took this situation to the Lord in prayer, and God had a response for him. And God essentially told him to not take their request for a king personally because, Samuel, they're really not rejecting you, but they're really rejecting me. Because you're just my representative. You're a representative of God, but they're really aiming this at me. Oh, and this concept here, this concept of, of God really being the one being rejected when his representatives are rejected it is still true today. And we see that, for example, in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Because in Luke 10, verse 16, it says, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So look at that as we go out and when we share the word of God with people, as we minister the word of God to people. And those who hear us, guess who they're really hearing? They're really hearing Jesus. They're really hearing God because we're just taking God's word and we're just sharing it with others but when they reject us when they reject that gospel message when they reject that good news about Jesus then it says that they're rejecting him and if they're rejecting Jesus of course they're rejecting the heavenly father the one who sent Jesus and so when people reject your ministry and or your ministering and when they reject your witnessing Are you taking it personally? Or at least have you been there where you took it personally? I've been in that place where it seemed like everything out of my mouth was coming out clearly and sharing the gospel. And then you wait for them to make a real decision to receive Christ, to repent and put their faith in Jesus, the one who died for their sins and the one who was resurrected from the dead. And the one who's at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. You share the gospel about that Jesus. Wait for their decision and only to hear them say, no, not today. Or they still don't believe in my Jesus. And so I've taken it personally before. And I wonder if you are in that place, if you've been in that place where maybe a family member is rejecting the Lord, but you take it upon yourself to take it personally. Oh yes, that it's, it's heartbreaking because we know where people who die without Christ end up. There is a place called hell and Jesus talked about that. And so we're heartbroken when they don't receive the word, when they don't receive the gospel. But we have to look beyond us and understand that, hey, it's not about me. It's about God. They're really rejecting him. They're really rejecting their creator. They're really rejecting his only way for salvation because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, as one brother said just now, the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven There is no other way. But it says here in verse 8. This is God still talking to Samuel. He said, according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken or rejected me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also, Samuel. Now, therefore, in verse nine, heed their voice. Listen to these elders, these these elders of the nation of Israel. It says, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them, seriously forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. See, God went into their past as a nation, as a people. Because the Israelites in the past, they, for example, they complained about Moses. They complained about his brother, Aaron, the, the high priest. They complained about God. We see that in the Old Testament. And they even asked for gods to be made when they saw that Moses had delayed coming down from the mountain. They, they asked his brother, the high priest Aaron, to make us some gods. They even had thoughts of returning to Egypt, returning to slavery, the place of slavery from where God had delivered them. They have thoughts about that and they continually, if you read the book of Judges, they continually went through this sin cycle. And the sin cycle I'm talking about is the, the, the fact that they sinned, and then the Lord turned them over to their enemies, and then they cried out to the Lord, and then the Lord sent judges or delivers, deliverers to deliver them from their enemies. And they experienced peace and protection, and then when that judge died, they sinned again, and then that cycle, that sin cycle, started all over again. And you see that in the book of Judges, and so they, they have this history. And God pointed it out to Samuel, and he told Samuel, so they are doing to you also. In other words, he's telling Samuel, Samuel, they've done this stuff in the past before, perhaps with different people in leadership, and now you're getting your taste of it, Samuel. You're experiencing the Israelites' unfaithfulness to me, that is to God. You're getting a taste of it at this time. So yes, Israel, they had those patterns of sin. You still see it in this lesson. The the patterns was not, it wasn't broken. They still rejecting God at times and personally. You know, for those of us in this room, for those of us watching online or who will be listening at a later time. Personally, we must avoid these same patterns of sin and mistakes that we've seen in our families or in the group of people that we're associated with. So try something different. You see that, these, that this sin is not getting them anywhere. You see that they're ending up in a bad place. I've seen family members go down the wrong path with alcoholism and drugs and gangs and end up in jail. And, and all these things like they end up in even family fistfights and all these things. I've, I've seen these things. And I saw some of that, not that I was perfect or anything, not that I didn't have my own issues, but there were a lot of things I looked at and said, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. I don't want to end up that way. And so those of you who may be a part of families where, this, where there's, this, there's this sin cycle, why don't you be the one to break that cycle? Why don't you be the one to turn to Jesus Oh, just like the song said that you, you, you tried all those other options and you found out that they were sinking sand. They were not stable. How about trying Jesus at this time and breaking that sin cycle, that mistake cycle in your family, that alcoholism cycle in your family, that drug cycle in your family? Why don't you try Jesus? Give him a chance. Do something different. Bring him Glory. And then go back to those same family members that are still alive and share the good news with them and let them know that, hey, Jesus did this for me and he can do the same thing for you. That same Jesus who loved me is the same Jesus who loves you. You can go back and tell them that and bring them out of that sin cycle that's a part of the family or that group that they're a part of. In verse 10, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. And it says in verse 12, he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. In verse 15, he will take a tenth, a tithe of your grain and your vintage, which is the grape harvest, and he'll give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth or tithe of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. And so Samuel, he told them all the words of the Lord, told them the behavior of the human king that they desired. You see, the Lord wanted the people to be informed. He did not want them to be ignorant of what was coming ahead. He didn't want them to be ignorant of the consequences of their choice for this human king that they wanted, like the other nations. See, the God we serve, the God of the Bible, is a God who informs us of right and wrong. The God of the Bible, the God we serve is is a God who informs us of things that are coming ahead through prophecies, for example. He even informs us of consequences because our God wants us to be aware of what's going on. He wants us to be aware of what's going to come because the God we serve does not want us to, to make decisions out of ignorance, which means he does not want us to be in the position of not knowing what's going to occur, what's going to be a ramification or a consequence of our actions, of our choices. And in this case, he wanted Israel to know the ramifications. He wanted to inform them of the characteristics of, of the king that they're going to choose or that they desire. You know, God even wants us to know the consequences, so to speak, for lack of a better word, for following Jesus. In the word of God in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 30, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Because there in Luke uh, 14, beginning at the 25th verse, it says, Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to the multitude, to this group of people, this large group of people, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my follower. In other words, if you're going to follow me, you have to love everything and everyone less. Way less than you love me. I have to be number one. I must be number one in your life. So much so that it would seem like hate for everyone else. He goes on to say, for those who would want to be his disciple, he says in verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross, the cross, of course, speaks of death. Be ready to die to self and even be ready to literally die. That may be necessary. And our walk with him as we represent him. And so he says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You can't, you can't love anything or anything more than you love Jesus. And you have to be ready to die. Die to self and be able to even physically die for him if, if, that's, if that's necessary. And yes, that is still happening today. Believers are dying because they are representatives of Christ and they refuse to compromise. But in verse 28, Jesus says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest... After he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. See there, so God, Old Testament, God, and the New Testament, he wants people to be informed of their decisions, the decisions, the potential decisions we're going to make, even in regard to choosing Jesus. So, in other words, just sticking to that topic of choosing Jesus, because we just read the scripture as an example to this point. Regarding Jesus, we ought to be informed and count the costs of following Him. In other words, we receive the information from Jesus of what it's going to take to be a true disciple, a true pupil, student, learner, follower of his. We see what it takes. We got the information from Jesus in, in Luke 14, verses 25 to 30, for example. But now it's time to count the costs in order to help us to make an informed decision. We count the costs. Is this worth it? I know what he said, what he said about being a disciple, but is it, is it worth it? Counting the costs. And, and even here in these verses, there's an implication that this is the common sense to do. Common sense thing to do in, in different areas of our lives. Before you take a career, before you move to another city or state, for example, you, you, get, you gather the information, you count the cost. Is it worth it? Make an informed decision. And so back to our lesson, back to what we're talking about here in our lesson in 1 Samuel 8, still thinking of that topic of God wanting to inform his people. This is their opportunity to count the cost, so to speak. Samuel took the word, got the word of God, God's word. He shared it with them. About, he shared the manner of the king with them. Oh, now it's time for them to make a decision, an informed decision, by the way. Is it really worth it to go through with this? That's what they should have been thinking. They should have been counting it up. Count the cost. But, but in verses 19 and 20... We're back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, nevertheless, the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. They, they heard all of this and they refused. And, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. I hear you, Samuel, but you know what? We're going to go ahead with our plans anyway. We, we still want that king like the other nations, Samuel, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge or govern us and go out before and fight our battles. And so some of us are like this. Some of us are like these Israelites. Although God informs us and he gives us warnings about potential choices, we don't always listen. We don't always take the correct route. We don't always make the decision that is in his perfect will, in his preferred will. In verses 21 and 22, It says, and Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. Not that the Lord didn't hear it in the first place. But many of us do that in our prayers too. You know, we we lay everything out before the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, God already knows. But yeah, we still share with him, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. And so Samuel does that. And so in verse 22, the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice. And make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. And so, after hearing God's warning about the king the people wanted, so after hearing all that, how rough it's going to be, some of the things that the king was going to do, the type of king they wanted, what we can conclude is that this allowance that God has given, this allowance of a king that God is giving here, It's not necessarily his approval. So again, they're operating in his permissive will, not his perfect or his preferred will. They wanted to put their trust in a human king. You know, and today, as we relate to this lesson, you know, some of us been in this spot or some of us at least see people doing this Doing what? That is thinking that they're getting away with sin and that God is okay with it because they haven't received immediate judgment. Oh, I seem to be happy right now in this sin. I'm just living it up in this sin and everything is just going so smooth for me and I seem to be prospering in my sin. Some people have thought. They're even thinking today, they're still thinking it. And they're thinking, well, God must be okay with it. Lightning hasn't struck me yet. He must be okay with it. He's allowing me to make this decision. He's allowing me to live this lifestyle. So God must be cool with my lifestyle. He must be cool with my decision. But here's the thing. Whenever we insist on our way, We insist on having our own way, that is, and we actually get our own way. When that happens, I would say, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice on that, but beware. And especially if you are a child of God and you insist on your own way, and then it seems like the Lord lets you have your way, there is a spanking waiting for you around the corner. And I've received many spankings in my life. It's not something to brag about, but, but if we had a contest and I started naming off numbers, how many people were spanked, how how many times I, I would probably win. I would probably win. So sorry about that. You know, somebody's going to have to come in second place though. You can compete for that. But, but when you are a believer and, 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 and it seems like, oh, the Lord is letting me have my way again, beware. The, the Bible says that he'll chastise those he loves. And I would say this. If a person says that they are a believer and they're getting away with sin, they're having fun and there doesn't seem to be any consequences. They, they don't seem to be getting chastised. I would tell that person to go back and evaluate whether or not they're really saved. Because it says that he'll chastise those he loves. And he's, if he chastises us, he deals with us as children. And that we are not illegitimate. The King James Version uses a different word and you can read that on your own. And so, and so beware, Christian, if you want to have your way and you get that way, it's, it's not a good thing. But there's many people who are not believers on their think that, oh, we're living it up. We're just doing our thing and no lightning. I would say Beware repent as soon as possible and turn to Jesus. And so in tonight's lesson, we've seen the beginning stages of Israel going from what we call a theocracy to a monarchy. And a theocracy, of course, is a government that is directly ruled by God. And so that's what it was. They didn't necessarily recognize God as the true king, but That's what it was. That's what it was supposed to be, a theocracy. But once again, we see it going from there to a monarchy. And so we we see the beginning stages of that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, in verses uh, 14 through 20, what you see is that God has set guidelines for kings in Israel. And so God is wise. He knows the future. And so he knew that the time would come when they would have human kings. But going back to that word or that phrase, perfect will, because it was his perfect will that he would be their king. That was always his perfect will for him to be their king, for it to be a theocracy. But yet and still, like I said, in Deuteronomy 17, he knew that that time was going to come, that they were going to want a human to rule over them. And so the children of Israel here, not only did they miss, not only did they miss out on God's perfect will of a theocracy, of him directly ruling them, but but the other problem here is that they wanted a king for the wrong reason. On top of missing his perfect will, they wanted this king out of a heart that had an impure or a bad motive. You see, their motive was to be like the other nations, to be like everybody else around us. And so what we see here is that instead of the nation of Israel being the light, we saw that the nations were rubbing off on them. And that caused them, of course, to reject their king, the true king. And then that even carried over to the New Testament because in Luke, or sorry, in John chapter 19 and and verse 15, you see that Jesus is about to be uh, crucified. And so Pilate is trying to, he's trying to get out of that. He's trying to get out of crucifying Jesus. and, And so it says here in John 19, 15, that They cried out, the Jews, they continue to cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? King of the Jews, the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they answered, we have no king but what? Caesar. They rejected their king, even in the New Testament. You know, and like Israel like Israel, some people today reject the king. Some people today are still rejecting the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, sometimes people take on the world's ways. They they take on the world's thinking. They take on the world's methods, even in the church, even in our homes, and even in our personal lives, our individual lives, taking on the world's methods. So we do that today. Some of us do that today, just like Israel did. But just as God chose Israel as a special treasure above all peoples, above all nations, that is, he also sees the church as his special people called to be separate from the world. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, it says, but you are a chosen generation. Speaking of the church. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people. But are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. And, and so. The the irony in in this is that when you look at that verse and you see what what many Christians and even some local churches are doing today, the irony is that although we are a called out people, his own special people, we see that the church, this, this special group of people is trying to fit into the mold of what God actually pulled us out of. We're trying to fit into the mold of those who hate us because it says that the world would hate us because we are not of the world. We live in the world, but we are not of it. Or we don't follow their pattern of life. We, we're not governed by their same set of rules. Because the Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the devil. That is the whole world is influenced or under the control of the devil. The devil or demonic forces. And so the irony is that, oh, we're special. The Bible says that we are. We're, we're called out of darkness into its marvelous light, but then we want to go back and we want to fit into the world's mold. The question I have for us tonight, and we must all ask ourselves this, is are we allowing the Lord to rule in our church Are we allowing the Lord to be the king of our lives? Who is on that throne of your heart? And so we must take that assessment tonight. Because if the Lord is ruling in the church, if he's the king of our lives, the king in our homes. Even if he's the king, the true king of our government. Then it follows that. That will obey his laws, will obey his ways, and will value what he values, and will use his methods. But no, we see, unfortunately, some some of the people who claim to be Christians, and some may be real believers, taking on these methods of the world to try to fix the world's problem. I'm going to take on this theory and that theory, and I'm going to diagnose the problem with this and that theory, and then. I'm going to use the so-called solutions from these theories to, to fix the world's problem. But for God's people who are a part of his kingdom, who are a part of his family, who are his ambassadors on this earth, we are to use a different method. We're to use a different method of reaching people to, to try to help solve the issues that we see in this world. Because in 1 Corinthians one twenty one it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its own wisdom, did not know God. It says it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so while all these people are gathering these theories and, you know, try to put them in schools or wherever they're trying to put them in. And unfortunately, some of this stuff is trying to creep into the church. While people are going with all these theories, critical race theory, or you name what, I, what kind of theories that they have. As people are doing that, they're missing out on the method that God wants us to use to reach the world. To help solve the issues. And, and that is taking the message, the, the gospel message out to the world and allowing God to change lives one at a time. You know, many people, we try to, there's a saying, we don't clean the fish before we catch it. And so people are trying all this behavior modification stuff, all these theories. But what needs to be done is that the fish need to be caught. And to the world, the gospel message is foolishness. But but we use that so-called foolishness to reel the fish in, to catch the fish, because this is God's method. And we belong to God's kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Again, we're in the world, but not of the world. And the thing, and you may have picked up on this from the lesson. The thing is, whenever you choose a king to rule in your life or whatever you allow, whoever you allow to rule in your life, beware of the consequences. Because there's consequences that come along with the ruler of your life, with the ruler who you allow to rule in your church and in your home and in your business and, and in your organization. Because one thing we see here, even with Israel is that they were warned of the consequences. And I don't know if you paid attention, but as you read the behavior about the behavior of the king that they wanted, you saw a lot of the word Take. T-A-K-E. Take your daughters. Take the best of your field. Take, take, take. Well, that's what you see. You see there that the king would take their families and put them to service and, and would take some of their possessions. The Lord had warned them. their consequences, you see, to the king that you allow to rule over your life. And if you want to talk about this thing spiritually... I'm going to say this, that if we allow the world and if you allow the flesh to rule over us, then there's going to be some consequences. You see, there's going to be a taking away when it comes to these, these so-called kings that we serve or allow to rule our lives. If our king is the world or, the, or if our king is our flesh, our own sin nature, you see, our families will suffer if that's the king we serve, the, The world's king or we allow the world to be our king or our own flesh to be our king. Our families will suffer. And so there's going to be a taking there. The marriages will suffer. And so there's going to be taking some taken away in our marriages, taking away of the blessings of the joy that could be in marriages all because of the wrong king that we allow to rule our lives. Or even in some cases, our possessions will be taken away or suffer. For, for example, in the case of drug abuse or alcoholism or oh, alcoholism and, and drug abuse or drugs, there's some, there's some crazy kings and they'll just take money away from you. And so your bank account will be drained all because you allow alcohol and drugs to be the king of your life. Or oh, even your physical health will suffer. And so there's some taken aways from there if people choose to have sex before marriage or to step outside of their marriage, there's a possibility of STDs. And so there's some taking away when it comes to our, even our physical health. You see, the point I'm getting to is depending on what king you allow to rule over your life, there's going to be some consequences. And if that king is not God, the God of the Bible, if that king is not Jesus, there's going to be some taking away, take, take, take. Our relationships will suffer. Our freedom will suffer. If we allow sin, for example, to be the king of our lives. What do you mean by that, Darrell? Our freedom will suffer if we allow sin to be our king, if we allow our flesh to be our king. Well, that's because Jesus says that those who commit sin, if that's the pattern of our life, then we're slaves to sin. Oh, there's taking away a freedom there. So with God Or what king are we allowing to rule our lives? Or if we choose the wrong king, it's going to rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace. But I do have to ask this question. Why are people even looking for a king other than God? Why? Are they even thinking of another option, whether that king is the flesh in general, whether that king is a drug or worldly pleasures or some kind of desire? Why are people looking for another king other than the Lord? And I would submit this to you, and it could be other reasons, but what's been laid upon my heart is that people look for another so-called king because They feel that they are lacking something. As the worship team takes the stage, they're looking for another king because they feel like they're lacking something. And So what are you looking for in this season? What do you feel like you're lacking to the point where you're allowing something or even someone to rule your life, to be the king of your life? But, yes, I do want to submit this to you, that whatever you're looking for, it's found in God. It's found in Jesus. You see, because the the Israelites getting back to them, you see, they wanted a God like the other nations, a human or or a king like the other nations. One who would judge them and go before them and fight their battles. That's what what they wanted. But all they had to do was look in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel and and be reminded of how the Lord helped them, how he went before them, and how he helped them in their battle against the Philistines. And so what they were looking for was right in front of their faces the whole time. And so what are you looking for? What are you looking for in, in the king, in the king of your choice? Because what you're looking for is found in God. Oh, if you're looking for a protector, then it is found in Jesus. It is found in the God of the Bible. If you're looking for a protector or a a provider, I should say, oh, it's found in the Lord. Or maybe you're looking for a problem solver where where instead of turning to drugs or uh, some kind of theory, well, well, it's found in our king of the Bible. Or maybe you're looking for comfort. Maybe you're looking for peace. Maybe you're looking for joy. Maybe you're looking for wisdom. Or maybe you're looking for healing. And and you're turning to some other king to find all of those things in. But all of these things, that joy, that, that peace that you're looking for. That wisdom and this healing that you're looking for. All of this is found in the king of the Bible, God himself. It's all found in Jesus and and maybe there's somebody who's looking for love and maybe that's the reason they are searching for another king instead of the God of the Bible. Because they're looking for love, but they're looking for love in all of the wrong places. Because in John three sixteen, and the Bible is so clear. Oh, it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so for those people who are looking for another king, they're turning to another source, another king, allowing that king to rule their life, whatever that may be, because they're looking for love. Oh, the king of their life is some type of relationship. Oh, because they're looking for love. Well, all of that is found in the true king. But I want you to notice something in this verse. Because I know you notice the love. Okay, Darrell, I get the point. If you're looking for love, you, it, the true love is found in the king, Jesus. The God of the Bible. But there's something else I want to point out. Because remember, all of those other kings, what do they do? They want to take, take, take. But our Bible says in John 3.16 that the God of the Bible, our true king, he gives. It says that he gave his only begotten son. You read other scriptures when Jesus is talking about a sheep, it says that he gives his sheep eternal life. The king we serve. The king, those of us in Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek serve. The God of the Bible, King Jesus, he is the God, the king who gives. And he keeps on giving. And I just want to leave you with this, wherever you are in this season of your life, don't look for another king to place on the throne of your heart, but turn to the true king, draw nearer to him. Because as we draw nearer to our true king, guess what? The Bible says that he'd draw near to us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you that you are the true king and we can always count on you. You are the king who gives and you keep on giving. You're not like one of these human kings, some of these evil human kings who just want to take, 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 take. Oh, you gave more and you give more than anyone that we know. And we pray, Father, that if we allowed another king to come in your place, we pray for forgiveness. And I pray for anyone right now who never put their faith in Jesus. They don't even remember doing that. I pray for them, Lord, that you would convict them of sin and that you would draw them to you, Lord. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Chip away at the hardness of our hearts, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. Help us to focus more on you. Help us to appreciate what we have in you. You are a generous, you are a gracious, a merciful king, and we love you. And the reason we love you, Lord, is because you first loved us. So may you bless my brothers and sisters tonight. May you bless them on their way back home, Lord. Help them to drive home safely. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your service. If anybody needs prayer, uh, please feel free to come up for prayer. If you never received Jesus and you would like to, uh, we'll be here willing and ready to pray with you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word.